Welcome to Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. I'm your host and expert layman, Matt Goodwin, and I am joined, as always, by your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. On this episode, we have the honor and privilege of the company of Zach Hayes, fellow Pitcherless writer, contributor, podcaster, and pot stirrer. He joins us to talk about some players who are a little confusing in 2021 or might have a little chaos swirling around them as we prepare for 2022. He'll talk to us about his work, Nestor Cortez, pitchers playing with their timing, and much more. But before we get to all of that, Zach, how you doing? Oh, not too bad on this fine Wednesday night. How are y'all doing? Alexander. Y- you want me to answer that? I do. I- I'm doing pretty well, Matt. I'm, yeah, this is a fun day. I um, I got a mic boom stand with a pop filter, and we get to hear fewer of my breathing and like general other weird voice noises today, I'm hoping. And maybe it will take me about half the time to edit the pod, too. That, that's, that's a good thing. I have to uh, Sounds like a gift it. for all of us. <laughs> Thank you for spending all that money and making that a gift for all of us, Alexander. That's fantastic. Are you going to talk about weather tonight, or is it going to be me? Zach, do you want to talk about the weather? Oh, man. it's uh, It's been nice. I don't know. I don't want to talk about it because then I'm going to think about how it's going to be soon. Oh, shoot. Sorry. Okay. I probably can't curse on this one, can I? <laughs> We we haven't cursed on here. I, I don't no. think that's a choice that we've made in a, actively, but probably is. I'll get I, to figure out how to do the bleep and the audacity. Insert tone, I think, right? I So what I actually do is I have a clip of Hawk Harrelson saying mercy uh, that I just paste over the curse. All right. Well, I get to practice. Yeah, I get to practice some new editing stuff. <laughs> Glad to bring the edge to, um, <laughs> to the bat tonight. Yeah. It's going blue tonight. It's because we're recording after nine. This is now officially plaid time, right? So it's yes. all good. All right. Well, uh, maybe we should start talking a little bit about baseball stuff. Um, I uh, We're really, really lucky to have with us here Zach Hayes, another uh, member of Pitcher List. Uh, Zach, what is it you, you do during the course of the regular season? Like what you we were just kind of talking about the pieces that we all do. What's what's uh, what's your thing during the season? Um, other than the podcast, I did going deep articles, uh, every couple weeks or so, um, less regularly. I did the batter's box once a week on Sundays, uh, for the entire season, the hitting recap, which was, uh, always fun. And then I also edited the newsletter on Sunday mornings and afternoons, uh, which was just always a fun exercise in pulling everyone's articles and podcasts and then getting to editorialize a little bit. Hey, yeah, that's actually a really cool thing. If you haven't subscribed to that newsletter, uh, you should definitely do that. We'll drop a link in the show notes so that you can do that pretty easily. Um, tell us a little bit about your podcast uh, and, and your podcast partner. Oh, yeah. So um, I co-host the, the Shag and Flies podcast with our friend Ben Palmer. Um, yeah, it's on, it just got put on the main picture list feed, I think, actually. So it should be fairly easy, easily accessible to y'all. It's... um. It's long and we just talk about baseball and a lot of not baseball <laughs> stuff with cool baseball people. Um, you know, it's all it's all about the guests and you know, sometimes it's about baseball and uh, sometimes it's about things that are adjacent to baseball and sometimes it's about things that have nothing to do with baseball whatsoever. But it's all your favorite baseball people, so come listen to us ramble on your car rides home. <laughs> Most definitely. That, that is like exactly probably when most people are listening to this and everything else, I, I would hope. Um <laughs> driving again recently more recently you know not permanently working from home really upped my podcast listening and uh, i have about 45 minutes one way five times a week right now which is way more to fill than i thought it was Uh, so (laughs) yeah lots of content out there but i've been looking for more stuff yeah that's that's a lot of time to fill um, all right. So uh, one of the things I want to ask you about right off the bat is kind of reflecting on the season a little bit and, and the work that you did, a, a lot of content that you're putting out. What was uh, your best piece or your favorite piece or, or the one that you would want to showcase? Uh, definitely the last going deep that I published this year, which was the second straight one I did about Nestor Cortez Jr. and <clears throat> and all of his weird, uh, you know, wind up idiosyncrasies and timing trips and uh, release points and all that stuff. And uh, man, he was fun. And uh, that was a lot of fun. I watched literally every single pitch he had thrown that season during the season up to that point. It was like, I think it was almost a thousand on the dot and had to, you know, I just manually kept track of what he was doing with his wind up and 
what the pitch was and all that. And it was it was kind of a fun mind numbing project when I had nothing to do at work. Uh, so <laughs> and okay, it was it was fun. And I interesting. have to ask before we get too far. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. to ask before we get too far. How many hours of not having too much to do at work? Was oh, and not actually all that many. It didn't take super long because ML- MLB film room can be really annoying sometimes, but it is a really good tool mm-hmm. for um, lining that stuff up because of the you could you know sort it chronologically from uh, I'd pull up any individual outing and I would sort it from what like oldest to newest, which would just pull up the first pitch and then it would autoplay and just scroll down. You know, I got another monitor up here and just kind of have it on the screen and the the spreadsheet in front of me and you know work whatever that means <laughs> what was how, it how about the work environment do you have for that then? Oh, home office you know everything is everything okay, is remote okay. for me so mm, there you go no nobody looking over your shoulder what no, uh sir. what was yeah what was it about that piece that that you like that really makes it stand out i mean i'm sure you have a process for all of them right so it's it, um it, there's got to be something about that piece that really sticks for you it's Partially the labor that went into it there, but more, more than that, or in addition to that, is that it, the the idea of picking something up with your eyes when you're watching the game, uh, and being able to find a way to say, okay, how can we try to see what's actually happening here? Uh, how can we measure this and see if it's working? If you should be doing this, uh, yada yada. And so that obviously wasn't available. There wasn't anything there about timing pauses there's no data on you know or i'm sure they have it with hawkeye and uh how long each actual delivery is uh, but we certainly don't have it so to be able to get kind of a coherent data set out of that and get results that were like you know small sample and everything but we're fun and kind of we're like okay this is actually it backed up the fact that that messing with timing actually helped which was just mm. a fun conclusion uh, and it wasn't yeah. like it wasn't ambiguous as small as the sample size was. Yeah, I remember kind of looking at that the first time and uh, kind of not knowing what to do with it other than thinking about like the way you had gone about it, which clarity here, like you found like on first pass, right? Like the the actual pitches where he did weird timing things, the results were kind of mediocre, but the long run pa results like when the guys went back to normal timing they were thrown off and you ended up with a whole lot of what was it in particular he was doing right again like what did they always seem to end in um, was it like flyouts a lot of pop-ups um mm. and <laughs> he had one particular he would get this drop down outside fastball with uh that for some reason nobody could ever catch up when he had he'd have two strikes and he'd throw a sinker that was kind of running off the outside edge or elevated up in the zone a little bit. Um, and nobody, nobody could hit it. Uh, and I, that is one of the other things that I liked about it in particular is that it showed that there are some things, many things that are still kind of beyond the information and the data that we have. There's a lot of stuff that can be measured. We just don't you know, have the accessibility or capability to do it for ourselves right now so you could Mm -hmm. say like okay you look at Nestor's stuff and he's got a 90 91 mile an hour fastball that's got an okay amount of rise for for uh for what it is his stuff moves a okay amount his control is not great uh but then you see he does stuff like that and you can actually say like oh this is how it's making him better uh it's helping him get ahead in the count he's alternating his release points here he's not showing anybody the same thing twice in the same at bat so you know, how do you play up with a 90, 91 mile an hour fastball? You make sure they're just never ready to hit it from wherever you're throwing it from. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. I, I really like, I really like that piece from like a, let's try to throw some numbers at like an old school problem, which is, you know, like, I think a lot of where the best work happens and a lot of what I try to emulate sometimes where it's like, I can imagine, you know, like someone has some sort of theory and then they go try it out. And like, you could imagine a guy in like the 1970s sitting there with a notepad actually doing this. Your notepad is like a little bit more than 1970s, I guess. But, <laughs> um, you know, fundamentally, like data is still data, even if you're recording. Tracking, tracking pitches um, has been around forever. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. So it's like, you know, like what is a scouting report if not like 
probably the best data that they had at the time for a lot of people. Like people yeah. with stopwatches, is, is is a stopwatch <laughs> analytics? I don't want to really investigate that. <laughs> I semantics. would love to ask some people it's who. It's a semantics hate. question. Hey, wheel was technology at some point, so and yeah. It, it, <laughs> there you go. It, but, um, now, do you believe in Nestor Cortez? That's the next question. I guess we have to ask. Depends on what you mean by believe. I think is um, as long as you could do that, do this. He's you know. He'll be a legit major league starter, which is not something you can say lightly. There's guys who mm-hmm. might come up and put up a 2-5, 270 RA for a 10-12 start run and be absolutely nothing. It just happens sometimes. Um, you know, baseball is weird. You get streaks of uh uh of results that are pretty, pretty far from the mean. So that being said, I think if they were to give him 30 starts, you know, he'd give you He'd give you four starter production. He would be a guy that you, you know, do you want him throwing playoff innings? No, but you need kinds of, you know, that kind of pitcher to be, to be a good team. Um, and what I was going to say for a second ago, before I had my coughing fit to um, uh, cap off that last <laughs> point is that, yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. I think we see with guys like, um, you know, Marcus Stroman is someone who is really out there with the messing with timing. It's starting to become a thing that we're seeing a little bit, you know, Cueto has been doing it forever. Uh, and to be able to see that, we all see the pitching ninja stuff and it's fun, but you kind of ask like, well, like, does that actually work? Like how, what do we know? How do we know? And to be able to get it even a little bit of a a glimpse into how that actually might, uh, we might be able to see that was, was a lot of fun. I thought, but, um, do I believe in him? You know, if the Yankees believe in him next year, then I'm kind of inclined to, to trust, trust them on it. (laughs) Yeah, I I feel like there's like a certain amount of like expectation setting going on if you're trying to decide whether or not to believe in a guy who is throwing a 91 mile an hour fastball and seeming to aim to be a fourth starter. It's like the expectation here is that this could be chaotic and weird. Um, and just believing him is just thinking that he sticks in the rotation for two consecutive months for, you know, I, I don't think that we have to expect that everybody is going to be an ace to like believe in certain people you know like i want to believe in taylor hearn who's a starter for the texas rangers probably because i went to high school with him but also because <laughs> i think he's got some fun stuff and and just believing in him means that i think he can like be a starter for like the entirety of the year next year but i um, so and, correct, and me all if, takes. correct me if i'm wrong here zach but that necessarily isn't necessarily a a uh, cortez piece right it's Nestor cortez as as a case study for what other pitchers are doing as well and like you were saying we're seeing that throughout the league now it it, it was so i would say about half and half I, it was pretty okay. specific to cortez to the extent that it was following up on an article i'd written like the week before about cortez mm-hmm. and how he was running i think at the time he had like a 170 ra through like 60 or 70 innings uh he was holding the yankees rotation together through the month of august more or less uh but it was spurred by, like, you know, there's more guys on the graphic. I think, like, Stroman's on there, too, and Cueto's on there. Other other guys are doing it. But it is, to some extent, singular to Cortez because part of the takeaway is that to get a – like, there's a reason that more people don't do it. And it's that it's really, really hard. Yeah. You look at you look at his release point chart, and it's like a freaking rainbow. You know, it's all over the place. <laughs> and to be able to do that, and also put the ball where you want it, and not walk a boatload of guys, which he didn't. You know, his yeah. control isn't great. His command isn't great, but his control is all right. Uh, he puts it in the zone when he needs to, and to be able to do that from from release points that are go from almost over the top three quarters to straight sidearm is is really impressive and the timing stuff is not uh is not simple either it takes a lot of i mean balance is hard i can hardly stand on one leg for more than 10 seconds at a time much less <laughs> much less you know stand and then drop down and deliver a pitch to a hitter uh that's that's really hard to do and he's actually i think you know that stuff shouldn't be taken lightly you look at one of the things i saw through watching a thousand pitches of him is that it's not just the ones that get on pitching ninja where he does like the swivel and kicks his leg back and forth and shimmies four times uh, and gets a guy to step off he'll do things like he'll hitch he'll have a hitch that you know when he's going back he'll pause for a a fraction of a second sometimes he does it one time sometimes he does it two times sometimes he pauses for just a fraction of a second at the top of his leg lift and sometimes he doesn't uh it's those kinds of things that we really don't notice unless you're watching a thousand pitches back to back that really make the hay there and 
having that level of precision, like that's a talent. That's a fairly rare talent, which is yeah. one of the things that makes me think like, yeah, he's actually maybe someone who can pull it off consistently because to do it for 15 starts is hard enough that I'm probably going to believe you can do it for 25 starts. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. I, so no, go ahead, Alexander. I, I think also if I'm trying to extrapolate your, your findings to someone else where like, it's clearly talent and not just like a, a choice that he's making. It is at least that if we see someone else try and do something like this consistently, we know that it could work and that we probably shouldn't write it off as just a bunch of nonsense. Um, I yeah. also really like the idea of just any little thing you could possibly do to screw with the other team that like <laughs> do it. There we go. There you <laughs> Please go. Do. And Please do. Please mess with the other working team. for him. So that's, that's a, uh, uh, some of the stuff that you've written. I have a, a different angle for you here. What's the piece that needs to be written that hasn't been written yet? Ooh, man. Um, I've got a few projects and things on the back burner right now. I I need, I will say, I've got something good about Shohei Otani coming up, but I'm not going to talk about that yet because what I need, because that's, <laughs> that's already <fair>. half written. <laughs> what I need, what I need to be writing is the eventual just evisceration of not really Tony La Russa, because that's already been done enough, but just everything that Tony La Russa represents with mm. the White Sox organization. Uh, this is uh, it, enough has been written about it within the bubble of, of White Sox media and fandom. It's been torn to death. There's not a whole lot else that needs to be said, but uh, it's been a while since anyone took pot shots at Jerry Reinsdorf and we just can't let that, you know, you got to do it every once in a while. Keep them, <laughs> keep them, We're keep them on their toes. Give at least you a chance. I think later on in this episode to like talk about the White Sox and make some pot shots. So I just want to say that was an active choice that I made <laughs> to include some stuff in the rundown. But I mean, I you, you did it, tell me prepare to way. be mad. I don't know. How, I didn't quite know how to take that. <laughs> no, geez, well, I yeah. guess. <laughs> Hey, please come on our podcast and prepare to be mad. That's a great selling point, Alexander. That's how you get people to do stuff. It's, Thanks I was, for coming I was, anyways. Uh, I, was, I was already committed, to be fair. You know, was, was, <laughs> he waited until you said yes and then dropped that on you. That's sad. Uh, all right. We have a segment we like to call uh, Number Numbers of the Week. And, you know, headed into the offseason now. We got playoff baseball, but uh, we've, we've taken a little bit of a different angle. And I think this is a cool one, especially with people who work with numbers at the level that you're working at numbers with, with which you are working at numbers, whatever, however you're supposed to say that Let's grammatically, ourselves there. Um, is, uh, is when you're doing this, there's, there's gotta be like your go-to stat or your go-to number, your go-to baseball thing. It, it could be anything at all. Maybe it's not even about analysis. Maybe it's a stat that you just think is, is awesome or, or uh, some, a record that's never going to be broken. What's your favorite baseball number? This is just totally off the dome, like kind of from my gut. Uh, but when I'm looking at starting pitching, uh, something that I care about a lot for reasons that I will try to articulate but aren't super concrete <laughs> is quality starts. Uh, I love to see how I think, you know, offense goes up and offense goes down. But I think holding a team as a starting pitcher to three runs or less over six innings is never not going to be a good thing, and it's indicative of a lot of other things. It's indicative mm. um, of whether a pitcher is getting a lot of innings and going deep into a game. It's you know indicative of um, <clears throat> of of you know run prevention as much as anything else. And there's a lot of let me rephrase that for a second. Um, the idea that a pitcher is consistently going deep into a game without allowing a lot of runs is always a good thing. And that's rarely a fluke when you do it over long stretches of time. And if you find something, a pitcher who's doing that, and sometimes you look at them, and you're like, huh, you know, it seems like they are overperforming. They are uh, getting lucky in any million number of statistical barometers that we use. Uh, but sometimes with those kinds of guys, I find that if you keep looking, you'll find something that they are doing really well, unusually well. They have a skill. They have something that they are one of the best in the league at. Because, especially in this day and age, starting pitchers really don't do that nearly as consistently as they used to. And if you're looking for someone who is uh, 
going to be at the top of the league in counting stats. That's something that I think is generally important. Yeah, can I ask one quick follow-up? And then, Alexander, mm. I promise I'm going to let you jump in. I see you there itching, <laughs> itching to say something. Do you think that a quality start is going to become something that is uh, less and less available as a stat to the point where like the sample size of people who get them routinely shrinks to a point where it's not as helpful or as useful. Um, <clears throat> I think quality starts are going to wind up being almost something like, uh, what we, what were, what wins were considered to be in the past, um, or maybe a more meaningful version of wins. I might say, uh, there's something to be said for, um, there's something to be said for context, I think. And I think that a quality start gets to the idea of what is, quote-unquote, a good pitcher. You know, mm-hmm. somebody that you want out there with your life on the line, with your team's playoff hopes on the line, that kind of basic binary of, is this someone I want on my team, real team, fantasy team, whatever, or do I not want them on my team? Uh, if I'm kind of ever on that, like, do I have... You know, do I like this guy? Do I think they're a quality player? Uh, If there's someone who is going to get that number at this point with the way that games are managed, uh, then, yeah, that's something I actually I care about. And I think is a I think it's going to retain meaning, uh, even if it does become rarer for those reasons. So I was curious, like, do you have an opinion on like. Could there be a five-ending, two-earned run quality start that you, you could be okay with in the future? Can we just pause for a moment? I was literally <laughs> thinking the exact same thing. Yeah, uh, man, no, I think absolutely. we might need to take a little bit more time off. We're, we're literally in each other's heads now. Sorry, go ahead, Zach. And, you know, I would be okay with even some kind of sliding scale. Uh, and I I would be willing to bet that if you someone looked into it enough and looked into win probabilities, you would find... Uh, some kind of some kind of spectrum of tipping points wherein a pitcher is uh, likely doing enough to get their team at least get their team in a position to win. I don't know. You could say that uh, four innings, one run, five innings, two runs, six innings, three runs, something like that. Uh, it can mm-hmm. be dynamic. I think, but I think there's something there. There's just value to that ratio of uh, volume to run prevention. As as my opinion on Zach Wheeler probably probably informs you. <laughs> uh, you know, it's really funny. It's like I think the like the league average ERA is somewhere around the four or five. Typically, has been in the past couple of years. Um, three earned runs over six is like four or five ERA for that start, um, which has always been something that's really interesting to me. So you can have like the poor quality start, as people would say. It's where it's like you you have three earned runs through six and. You know, you can have like a bad whip on top of that. I know that like the the roundups, Nick will do like very, 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 very poor quality starts depending on how bad someone's whip is. <laughs> um, I love how imprecise and yet just kind of like really effectively conveyed that idea is that like, you know, does one extra hit constitute one extra very in real life? I don't know, but it's fun. And um, I think it's that sort of like, you know when people get worked up about like ops which is like not exact but like really really good i think people have missed the point and i think the quality start kind of fits in that same sort of camp where it's like if you're against it you're kind of missing the point we need to convey generally speaking what the shape is not exactly like what the distance of the coastline is yeah Um, yeah i think that's a good way of putting it that's exactly before even you said that i was thinking in my head that it's like how uh (laughs) ops and and ops plus and wrc plus plus correlate beautifully for reasons you know for, for reasons yeah. yeah what for for reasons so you could say that you know ops plus is an ops is useful um maybe not for the kind of uh correlative reasons that we typically like stats these days but it tells you something it still tells you something right you don't need to use ops for your research but like if someone says it on a broadcast you don't need to like get mad online i i think sometimes we err on the side too much of using predictive stats for things that don't need predictive stats yeah yeah or for I analysis think description is fun yeah 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 analysis that makes sense so I, I i you're seeing these trends though in baseball where guys are going five and a third five and two thirds much more routinely than they're going six full so I, I I like the idea of that sliding scale of dynamic i mean i don't know if that would make people's heads explode 
in terms of trying to incorporate that into into fantasy categories or not. But the idea of being able to capture a large enough, I mean, if if the league average start is five innings or it goes down to four and a third, you're going to start to see a lot less of those quality starts. Are we going to start talking about like 20 quality start pitchers as being the elite? Are we going to have only the elite pitchers earning quality starts at a, a pace or, or a, a quantity that becomes relevant. I, I just think it's really interesting. I think we've seen a steady decline in how many innings starting pitchers go, right? Uh, and it's not it's not just one year or two years or three years. It's been at least a decade. So I'm just curious about where it's going to go. I don't really have an issue with the stat per se. I don't think it's perfect, um, but I don't think it needs to be perfect, is to your point. But my concern about it is just how many pitchers are going to be getting them at a at a rate that's going to be uh, meaningful either for fantasy or for our analysis. Yeah, fantasy is kind of I is is I don't know how useful it's going to be um, because of that scarcity. Uh, from an analytical perspective, though, I would actually counterpoint to sort of the um, use the four the four point five ERA thing uh, to illustrate that why the innings half of that is uh is important and that eating innings has a ripple effect uh especially Mm -hmm. when today's games are so bullpen dominant um as much as we love that everyone has six 99 mile an hour arms that they can break out for the last half of a game (laughs) uh it's also true that fundamentally i don't know how i would put this statistically but the more pitchers you throw out there the higher the odds are you're going to get one who's having a bad day sure uh, i think tampa there bay is race <laughs> tampa yeah we just saw it happen um <laughs> yeah so i think even if i don't know what you're bringing up the rays it, it, it's been the the red sox who are doing this it's... recently who are finding out well they yeah they, they did i, but they, I think that's thinkingly. i think that's the lie. only uh, I think that's the only reason the Red Sox got past the Rays was because that's what the Rays were doing, trying to do to them. Anyway, um, we digress. Yeah, so, yeah, my my last point there is though that because of that, um, even if you are only going at a league average run prevention rate, uh, the fact that you can get through six in- six innings and probably be in a position where your team should have the lead or at least be in a tie game. Yeah. Uh, I think that's even more meaningful than it used to be because of uh, what the implications of only needing to use your bullpen for three innings or two and a third innings on any given day, as opposed to uh, five or six innings, which is what's going to happen more and more when you guys, you know, managers are increasingly willing, even in the regular season, to to pull out that hook in the third and fourth inning. Yeah, uh, I totally agree with that point that it be, it does become more meaningful. Again, so, it's more so about like how many of them are going to are going to exist. So if you're if you're looking at like is this guy doing good work, the quality how many quality starts they have can can kind of point you in that direction. How many of them in 10 years are we going to even have? That I guess I think that's we'll my see. question. I I think they're not going away. Uh I think we are there is going to be a critical mass at some point where you just need guys who are going to get through five or six innings. Mm-hmm. Uh a roster is always going to need them because you can you only have so many Max Scherzers. You only have so many aces. Uh, right. And there are too many innings in a major league season to be filled by three or four inning guys uh, yep. without some kind of disastrous results, either on like a health front or either on just uh, I, I think teams would probably give up a lot more runs. Uh, so I think there's always going to be a place in the game for for pitchers who are maybe nothing spectacular, but are going to get that volume for you. Uh, so maybe there won't be as many as there used to be, but I don't think it's going to teeter past the the brink of irrelevance i would guess i think that good teams are going to continue to have those sorts of guys one way or another though you're not going to see smart teams doing things where they just sacrifice the health of their arms because they want to like just go guns blazing every single day Mm. the giants i think i'm coming to terms with this more week by week it severely severely handicapped themselves for years by like running out all those old guys and not taking care of them and then, you know, new management is like, hey, let's do things where we don't destroy our players. And suddenly, you know, that and some better coaching. And you see guys way, way overperforming what we th- thought they were capable of just because they're well-rested and well-managed. You know, it, it's nothing if it's not just like the baseball version of Greg Popovich's San Antonio Spurs having like a DNP old, which is truly my favorite thing that any coach has ever done in any sport. 
So, you know, I, I'm glad to see it. Dropping basketball knowledge on me. Um, all yeah, right. The season just started. <laughs> we uh, we have the the crux of our episode to get into with a, with a central question. But before we get to that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show and we are back. So, Zach, one of the things that we really wanted to talk about on this episode and bring you in to have this discussion is to kind of take a look at guys looking into next year, looking ahead at guys who are kind of confusing to understand, uh, to, to place maybe where their ADP is going to be, whether they're going to be value, what their roles are going to be. Um, so, like, how do we find clarity on these guys um, what's the process that, that maybe as you're looking at uh, mock draft season or really early, way too early uh, rankings or something like that, um, you know, the, the, the kind of the process that we go through to try to understand these guys. So we, we each have some players here. Uh, I'm going to give you as the guest the honor. Uh, you can go first. You know what? I'm even going to let you steal steal a guy from one of the other places here. So you can talk about any one <laughs> of the people in our little matrix here that nobody at home can see because we like to make visual references on audio podcasts. Uh, who, Where do you want to go and what is it about them that you think is a little confusing and, and kind of what's the story there? Oh, man. Um, you know, I'm seeing... I see Bobby Witt on here and... Before before I talk about anything myself, I really I had not considered him as a potential impact player in next year's major league season, which I'm now realizing thinking about uh, what his numbers were in the minor leagues and what he looked like is a mistake. Um, <laughs> so, Alexander, I, I want to hear what it is uh, you find confounding uh, and how you're finding clarity with Bobby Witt's potential service time situation, given the nature of the upcoming labor situation. Before you, before yeah. you do that, Zach, I just want to applaud your pivot there. That was masterful. That was a master class <laughs> in not answering a question and turning the tables. I appreciate that very much. Alexander, take it away. Okay. So I'm a pro. A couple days ago, um, we wrapped up like the very first uh, pitcher list mock draft. This was fun in that there's like literally no ADP available that you can go like steal from anyone else's like NFBC stuff. Uh, as myself and a handful of other like writers and general smart people were in this draft. Uh, ben Palmer, by the way, uh, was the pick right after me. I was the tenth; he was the eleventh. So I'm sure if you hear anything from him, you know we were sniping each other or not. Um, who knows? That's kind of the whole thing. Is like you don't actually know if anyone thinks you're doing a good job until the very end <laughs> when we like go back and listen to these, which I'm very interested in. Um, and uh, Adam Howe uh, took Bobby Witt Jr with the 142nd pick that is the third to last pick of the 12th round in this 12 team draft and i just have no idea what to think about it myself when i was like drawing up the outline for today like the only thing i have in my mind is like there are so many people in this draft i just had no idea where to put i didn't know if i was gonna get a steal or if they were gonna go five rounds ahead of where i thought they would go and i don't think that you have to actually know the answers to any of these questions to find them important um so you know bobby Witt jr i feel like really fits into the sort of guys who just like have there is no analytics that are going to answer your sort of questions problems with him uh, problems with him is probably wrong but uh you know if cba negotiations go the way that a lot of people like myself hope that, that they go bobby Witt jr probably plays the first game of the season 
um, for the Kansas City Royals. You don't think the Royals are messing around? Oh, I mean, it. If the CBA gives them no incentive Um, not to, that's true. That's That's the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, If not, I think there's a good chance that he's up as soon as they steal another year of service time, and I boo all the way, and then he's up like 15 days, or you know let's consider the possibility here that there's a lockout and that it's like just 10 days into the season. They've already stolen another year of service time for him. So yeah, he's a little bit confusing, but I think it's that question that's going to determine his ADP. Now, the really dumb thing about that is the most likely case I think is him missing like the first two weeks of the season. Roughly. It's it's not that much time that someone has to miss air quotes working on their defense um, <laughs> yeah. before the teams get their extra. Like it was 16 games this year. It was like April 6th. Pardon me. April 16th, I think was the, the day. So like, that's the crux of the problem ultimately, like that would cause people to like potentially force a lockout. But I also think people might be overrating or like overrating how much time missed it is it's just kind of like we're all confused and i find this confusing to try to even wrap my head around here in october what's well, so to, to between that and the point that we actually just discussed with the rays i was thinking recently that you know it's kind of ridiculous that if the rays are gonna have shane baz shane baz excuse me um starting playoff games which they knew damn well ahead of time he was gonna be starting playoff games because oh, yeah. you know oh yeah if they're going to trust him to start playoff games, he was good enough to be starting for that team in May. He was good enough yes. to be starting oh, for agreed. that team probably in April, and they probably knew it. So, you know what? It serves them right for, for having him for being unprepared come October. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> uh, connecting those two thoughts together. That's, yeah. Hmm. God, what now, will the winter bring? I do think it's worth talking also about Bobby Witt exciting baseball player instead of just Bobby Witt confusing fantasy commodity because the things he did last year really do make him very confusing in a good way you know it's like how excellent could he be um you know because he's like arguably the best fantasy prospect you know some of the other guys like Ali Rutschman he's gonna be a catcher um how good is the best catcher in the league in, in fantasy not consistently a top 50 player on ADP Though in my hearts, yes, they should be. Come on, guys, get 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 to. Uh, but you know, um, the top pitching prospect. What is that going to turn into? Who knows? In any given year, it's always <laughs> being the best, like infielder with speed prospect. You know, a guy that went like he had twenty nine stolen bases last year, so he didn't go full thirty thirty. Um, but you know, that's really exciting. Um, and you know, the average. It, we'll see what it is he's mid 20s strikeouts in the minors so it's fully possible you know he's like a guy who has problems with batting average early on and who knows how good the royals offense is but i think it'll be pretty okay he could earn himself a high lineup spot go like 25 25 and like win people leagues next year from adp 140 he yeah. could also not get on base a whole lot not steal a lot of bases as a result be low in the lineup and you know go back down to the minors for some work at some point. Like, you know, I think Jared Kelnick was like really going to scare some people. And I could have put him into the same spot in the matrix for the same reasons. Yeah. But, you know, I, I went well, with I, Witt instead. I think you bring up a good point, Alexander, because these are, these are players. We, we've got nine guys. We've, we've gotten to one. So that's good. It's a good start gentlemen. Um, but uh, I think they're symbolic of other people. Right. And, and so what you're talking about is the risk reward of taking somebody who, uh, has been amazing in the minors, but ha- doesn't have a lot of major league at bats, and we know that that can affect some people. So I'm going to use this as a segue to throw it right back to Zach, uh, and I'm going to pick one of your guys right now that I want you to talk about because it's going to be a lot harder to pivot from him because you wrote him in the in the list. So I'm making you talk about him, and that's Joe Adele because I think that maybe Joe Adele is the cautionary tale for what makes Bobby Witt Jr. a little a little risky, at least. Yeah, so Adele, so what I was just thinking a second ago when you were talking was that every year it seems like there are a couple prospects um, where it's like you're on, you come into the spring and they're on the precipice and you're not sure whether they're going to be the next guy who is a superstar the second he steps foot in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Everyone is looking for the next, obviously the next Trout, the next Harper, the next Tatis, even the next like Bo Bichette, uh, right. folks like that, Acuna, uh 
but it doesn't always work out that way. And I think my 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 thought process on Adele is somewhat influenced by having watched Yoan Moncada develop over the past three mm-hmm. four years, who was a guy who at least in uh certainly within within White Sox fandom in the um not quite so sure how he was perceived by by the the general baseball watching public but he was the number one number two prospect in baseball and people expected him to get up there and be like Aaron Judge and be like yeah. Juan Soto and be like Acuna and be a star and he wasn't and if you read what the prospect reports on him were that shouldn't have been a surprise uh he was someone who was probably whose skill set was always going to need an adjustment period in the big leagues and more just because an elite number one number two number three prospect doesn't have that splash uh if you see them making the adjustments they need to make even if it doesn't come all at once there's still a really high quality player there and i think this might be the year that we see that with adele uh he was looking pretty good he was looking like he was getting better before injuries ended his season last year but i mean it's still never promised with these guys, especially with a swing and miss profile like that, especially with, with there's there's a lot of warning signs, too. So I guess that's the chaos. I'm optimistic on him, which is why I threw him in there. Uh, but yeah. I think that's kind of Adele is kind of on the flip side of uh, of Bobby Witt Jr. as far as what he what you don't want him to be in two years. But yeah, yeah it wouldn't yeah, be the worst right. thing in the world if he doesn't pop this year you know yeah well i think that that makes it difficult especially in like a redraft right obviously in a dynasty league he's going to be owned so um or i'm sorry rostered uh he, he he's not going so he's he's off the table there right but in a redraft league where do you invest in him i think that's i think that's a really difficult thing. i mean to, to the same point where do you invest in joe adele you you probably are more likely to get a value on him if he does have that breakout but um, you, if you're, if you're drafting with guys who still want to be the one who has him when he breaks out, you're probably paying a little bit more than, than, um, you might get in return. So it, it's just, it's very, very interesting. I want to throw a guy out here, um, because I think that, um, uh, Alexander has some interesting factoids about this guy. We were talking about him off air, uh, and that's Jesse Winker. Okay, we've caught him. Thank you for throwing him out there. Uh, fun fact is we are better at playing defense than jesse winker uh so just uh <laughs> thank you for tossing that uh god uh I, I can spin on so many weird directions on jesse winker because you know i i want to see if the dh is going to happen i want to know if cincinnati's defense is going to get better so their pitchers will stop being really really bad despite looking good um i i want to see just how dramatic his splits can be between how much he just destroys right-handed pitching and how much he just turns into a feeble little child against left-handed pitching. It's he's a really fun and curious player. Um, I also think that like just how catastrophically bad the reds were in weird ways last year is really going to depress his value. And he's a sort of like, you know, he's good. You don't know how much other people in the draft room might be think he's good. You don't know how well Cincinnati is going to get the most of his talent you know, as much as someone can slide around in the first six, eight rounds or so, he feels like a guy who's like really confusing. So I'm trying to like look over the draft board here. He went in the seventh round. He went in the seventh round. Wow. Yeah. So he went um, in this draft between JD Martinez and Brian Reynolds. Um, other people who went in that same round, you know, like Chris Bryan, uh, Christian Yelich, uh, which interesting. Uh, uh, Adalberto Mondesi, which also interesting. So feel free to yeah, throw a little he, Brian Reynolds oh. analysis in here too, while we're talking about Winker, since he's also on our board, and and that'll get us to our fourth player. Yeah, yeah. I think the thing that can be confusing about these guys is like he had a really good year last year, where he also struck out considerably more than he had strike like struck out in like his other years in the majors. So he had been like a a fifteen ish percent guy without all of the power that we thought could happen for a couple of years. And then last year, he jumped to 25% while like, hitting the ball considerably harder, which looks like a choice a lot of the time. Uh, I We've probably talked about this every two or three weeks on this pod about how Keston Hira's power is, when he came up was definitely partially a choice as much as it was like, you know, development. And, you know, he was trying to hit everything out, and that can be a problem. So it's like, is Winker actually going to be able to sustain being good? Is he going to get found out? And then 
no, he just cuts his strikeout rate back to 15% and hits the ball just as hard this year. So yeah, I'm really curious to know that if he, like, you know, a guy who cannot play the field will have a position where he can not play the field next year. And I don't know if the Reds are going to try hard enough to be good. You know, what if they lose Nick Castellanos and it's literally just the Jesse Winker show on offense for them? That's going to be bleak. Um, so he makes for like a really interesting, like, what's the room feeling like? I also feel like kind of weirdly he slipped. And I think we recognize that when we were doing this draft. So we will see where he ends up. I also think there's like a good, interesting breed of dudes who play outfield will not steal a single base unless the base is just basically been given to them sort of guys who are going to fit in like the after pick 50. So like, we'll see where Castellanos fits. We'll see where Eli lands. Eli should not be in the sixth round if, he, if we believe in his health. Uh, Stanton's also sitting around there in the sixth round for this mock. Uh, J.D. Martinez, Kyle Schwarber snuck up. So we have, we'll, we'll see how many Jesse Winkers there are out there for the market to soak up. And uh, I'm really interested to see where the conventional wisdom lies. I think that's like another part of this is just like, I want to know what other people are going to collectively settle on as the norm. You know, like when we talk about a guy like Adele, um, you know, it's like, what is everyone just going to kind of decide he needs to be here? Like probably his ADP will like level out in like December and then he just won't move and no one will have a new opinion on him. I... And worried the same sort of things happen at the top of the draft. And Winker is one who probably deserves a little bit more talk. So, yeah, he had like a almost a like 1100 OPS against righties and then like a 580 OPS against lefties. So, I just want to say, like, that's that's also another game. Like, when I brought that up earlier, I mean, like, he could have a 500 point difference. I want to see if he can stretch that a little bit more next year. Talk just a, a briefly about Brian Reynolds only because I brought him up and, and, the reason I he was on, on my list, the reason I brought him up is that I feel like he's kind of an unsexy name, but when you look at leaderboards for twenty twenty one, he did a lot of things well. Yeah. So tell me what your thoughts are there. Like how where did he go in the mock? Uh it was yeah, right so after Winker, was, right? Me, right. Yeah, let me let me do the math on that. So is six times twelve is seventy two. Yeah, they were about the eightieth pick. Seventy nine and eighty. Or those So guys let me going. ask you this and then we can move on. Who are you taking, Winker or Reynolds? Ooh, um, I'm taking Winker. Okay. Um, I'm taking Winker, and and here's why. Um, they both got excellent, excellent, excellent um discipline at the plate. Like we're talking again, like mid-team strikeout rates, I believe, for Winker, and then for Reynolds. Well, I'll admit a lot of my Reynolds understanding of who he is as a player is influenced by playing out of the park. <laughs> where he uh, won a World Series or two with my fictional Orioles at one point, so I, I I need to make sure that he didn't dramatically turn into someone different. And I don't think he did. Uh, yeah, he's. How often does anyone who's not just like looking at the top of the leaderboards like look up how good Pirates guys are? Yeah. So he yeah eighteen percent strikeout rate last year. He was like in the mid and then upper twenties actually the year before. So this was a big he cut the strikeout rate sort of guy. And he kept the power again. So mm-hmm. it's it's really encouraging. He's also a little younger. He's 26. He was really good in 2019 too. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was a guy, funny, I wrote this Otani piece uh, going into the 2020 season about like who you would, like how you would actually evaluate him. And I snuck Brian Reynolds as like, here's the guy that you would like also draft who would play the other 40 games when he's on the bench. Mm. If you want to like compare Otani with someone else. And, you know, then last year he was like not good. Like 2020, he was not good. And then this year, God, when did we switch that over? He was like way, way value pick. So it's, yeah. So he, he's he's got a lot of really interesting, like, can he keep it all together? Slash, will he get traded to another team? Is mm, another interesting yeah, thing. Sure. I think there's kind of like a wild card thing for him. I, I think he's, so. I think there's no way he's not playing for a team on which he's not going to get a lot more runs in RBIs next year. <laughs> yeah, that, in, in probably. So who, do, who are you taking, Zach, between Winker and Reynolds? I'm probably leaning towards Reynolds. Um, I've been a fan of his ever since he was at Vanderbilt. Um, He doesn't do anything badly. Um, Mm. Yeah. He doesn't do anything badly. And Alexander, I think your point, I didn't know that Winker was that bad against lefties. I knew he wasn't great, but uh, that, (laughs) you know, I, I don't like a guy who is, who is that brutal against, against a third of the pitchers in the league. Um, I'll take, you know, given two players who who have upside but are not superstars, uh, give me the one who does everything well and has fewer flaws overall. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, I, I think you could definitely wrap up 
um, Winker is like Barry Bonds four days a week and then like Larry Bonds or whatever like the Walmart knockoff would be <laughs> the other couple days. What was the name of the guy in the, the video game oh. when they couldn't John, make him Barry John Dowd was John Dowd was a god. Don't yeah. don't throw dirt on the name of John no, Dowd. No, not, not at all. That's uh. what I'm saying. Nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Uh, I, I also want to talk briefly about Fernando Tatis Jr. and only in the context of the news coming out that he's not going to have shoulder surgery in the offseason. Zach, what do you think that means for Tatis next year? I would, if I knew how Tatis felt, I would have information that a lot of people would probably pay for. Um, <laughs> man, I, I don't know the medical stuff there. I'm no doctor. I'm not even going to pretend to know what I'm talking about, but the way he plays, man, this is not going to be the first time he messes his stuff up. This is... Yeah, um, mm-hmm. you know those plays. The you know being the Jordan logo catching line drives in <laughs> an incredibly yeah. cool fashion is like I want to see more of it, but also it comes at a cost. Uh, um, For sure. So just man, they better know what they're doing. Is all I can say. <laughs> yeah, that's my concern. Is that that what we're gonna do is get a, a more Fernando Tatis now? Um, but we're going to get a lot less of him at the end of his career that we could have had uh, because he's going to have to hang it up it's, sooner. Who knows? But it's I that that the way that shoulder stuff affected his swing um, and affected his playing the field is is scary, and you don't want. Yeah. I, like I said, I don't know how 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 he feels and what his relationship with the team is and how that's all. Sure. None of us will though. So, I mean, in terms of like going into it's, (laughs) it's, that's why it's chaotic. That's exactly the point I was going to make. Like we all have to try and figure that out without having any of that knowledge. So I, I, you know, I think with, if we all know he's a hundred percent, it's, it's very clear where he fits in. Yeah. Right. But without that, yeah, I see him going third overall in this mock here. And I don't know if I would do that. There's a lot of I feel like Acuna went second on this. This feels like a mock that almost kind of baked in. A couple of people are like, "Yeah, we're not going to baseball till June." Like there are some yeah. decisions in here that seems like that's like, like Adam took Tatis third here, and he took Bobby Witt in the twelfth. Like his draft almost looks like you know, like, like he has Vidal Brujan on the twenty first. There's a little bit of like prospect love, but there's also some like, you know, like there's going to not be that much baseball and the prospects are going to be playing right away kind of baked into some of these mocks. I was thinking about that myself. So that could really shape some things up. A thing that I have been thinking about as well that kind of um, underlies some of my feelings toward Tatis in particular has been some like reporting about how the Padres have been far, far, far more chaotic and um, weirdly kind of like dysfunctional than a lot of other teams in terms of like how their front offices worked. Um, yeah, did you read that so, article? <laughs> which one are you referencing? In the athletic, like, there was an athletic article about, uh, AJ. I think we're talking about the yeah. same thing. Yeah. It's like basically they have far fewer people running jobs that take multiple people to do. And, you know, it's like a lot of just loyalty is the absolute thing that determines whether you keep your job. It seems like for all the money that they're willing to throw around and all the commitment they have to winning, there's a lot of just not doing the little things right that could lead to some really really major dysfunction down the road. And that really kind of sours me on some of like the fringe guys on that roster because, you know, it's like what happens when, you know, like the guy who's batting sixth in your lineup just isn't batting for as good of a team and like their counting stats go down. Like those things matter around the edges whenever you're trying to figure out where you want to pick Jake Cronenworth, who I love yeah. normally, but I'm just a little bit worried by it. Cause I just like, what's going to happen. Well, here? management has a lot to do with it, right? Opportunity is, is one of the gatekeepers to productivity. So it, it's a fair point. All right. We have four players left on this board and I think we're only going to get to two. So, Alexander, I'm going to have you pick one of your two that we have not talked about. That could be either Trevor Story or Andrew Vaughn. And then, Zach, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing with uh, either uh, Carlos Rodon or Kyle Hendricks. So, Alexander, go ahead and go first. Story or Vaughn? So, I think Story has a lot of different things that are kind of weird about him. We don't know where he's going to land. Um, I do want to just kind of quickly note before I pass over him and don't pick him. that He basically <laughs> just didn't run after the All-Star break because he didn't want to get hurt. So, just mm. like... No, there were some choices involved. He's we're probably underrating what he probably could be and how many bases he's probably gonna steal in the future. 
I want to talk about Andrew Vaughn. And this is the guy that I put on my list because I promised to Zach that I was going to try to make him mad. Um, now, I'm not the one doing anything wrong here that's going to make him mad. It, it's Tony La Russa that's doing the wrong thing here. But I felt like it was worth my while to bring up one of my favorite young players in baseball. And I'm not White, White Sox affiliated. Um, so Vaughn has done some incredible things since he's called up. He like, dramatically slashed his strike count rate over the course of the season, continuing to just smash the ball. He's a, He was among batters with, I think, 300 PAs. It's like the, the bar- barrier I said it to. Maybe it was a little higher than that. 40th out of like 250 or so in a hard hit per PA rate. So, you know, we're talking like 89th or so percentile or 88th, somewhere in that range. He's hitting the ball hard way more consistently than most other people. And it just didn't go out that much. And then also there's this other problem where he just was not playing all that often. Um, And I really want to know how the potential shakeout in Chicago and their offseason moves will affect his ability to just rake on a regular basis because I think he's got all the tools to do it. He doesn't have to get that much better to be considerably, considerably higher on the draft board than where I got him in it was the 18th round. So that's like after pick 200 considerably. Oh, that's far too low. He's yeah. going after, ooh, right. he's going after Ken Giles and Joe Ryan. That's a, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, yeah. this, this sounds to me like the only chaos here is, is Tony La Russa, right? Uh, but, but does that chaos go away? Right. Yes. Yes. And no. Um, the chaos that is Tony La Russa does not appear to be going away. Uh, unfortunately, however, I do think that based on my own sense and what I've read and heard, I think the White Sox organization knows that Vaughn is prob is a special hitter. He's a really, really, really good hitter. And, mm-hmm. I think he's going to play next every day next year, whether a lot of that is probably going to be uh, at DH first base. They'll probably start moving Jose Abreu to DH more and having some kind of rotation there with uh, him and Yasmani Grandal. Vaughn showed that he can at least not kill them in the outfield and not even in an emergency sense. Like He can be a viable corner outfield player. You can stick him out there. He's not Chris Bryant uh, by any means, but you can stick him out there on a fairly regular basis and not be hurt horribly uh so there's going to be enough you know the white Sox don't have a right fielder right now i'm not super confident they're going to go spend a lot of money on someone like even a michael conforto you know uh to fill that gap there Mm -hmm. um vaughn is going to get his at-bats and i think looking at his numbers this year you have to from 2021 that is you have to keep in mind that he had never seen professional pitching above high a until yeah. this year he was at the alt site for all of last year he had never seen pitching right, above right. high a in a, in, an ML, in a live game situation until this year he also was thrust into learning a position that he had never played in his life mm-hmm. literally three days before opening day and he was still a league average hitter which was really two or three months of being like a 130 ops guy sandwiched around a rough start and a rough finish um, mm-hmm. So, right, because of injury, also mind because you. of so yes, like, that he, was like, he was hurt in September as well. Um, yeah, that, so, that was just like other thing of adversity is having yeah. to come back from. Um, what was his injury? So Do you remember off the top of your head? It was um, he had a back. He had some. He had back oh. and leg problems. I don't think it, it wasn't anything super serious. He had a couple good games in the division series, but um, he'll he'll be back and he'll hit right handers better next year. He had huge platoon splits. I think he had something like a one. 50 one like wrc maybe even 160 wrc plus against lefties and something like you know 70 against righties that'll even out a little bit more uh mm-hmm. so the the long answer there is that tony la Russa will still be there and will still be making bad decisions but i think andrew <laughs> vaughn is actually going to be too good to be affected by it adversely uh, yeah i'm with you i, I want to i pulled out this because i just wanted to so his uh rolling 200 pa strikeout rates over the season i wanted to pull that because he had about yeah he had 469 pas so i felt like getting something's a little bit less than half really kind of shows you where he's at uh for the first half of the season or he was like a 27 to 25 percent strikeout rate guy towards the end he was a 15 like yeah that is insane i will say you know know who my comp on him is um in terms of offensive profile is i think he and in the way he hits the ball too, um, different swings, but the way they hit the ball, he is 
Pete Alonso with a little bit less power, maybe a little less game power, but a much better hit tool. Mm. That makes sense. He's uh, he's going to be I think, stupid. Uh, <laughs> part of the reason why a lot of those balls didn't leave the yard, why his power didn't manifest in home runs this year, is that he's a guy who he will, you know, absolutely scorch it to the pull side. But when he hits the ball hardest, he is like Pete Alonso in that he's deriving balls to dead center and right center field. Uh, mm, his big kind of coming yeah. out party to a, a national audience was, I think he broke, uh, he hit the first home run off a of Roldis Chapman this year. He had a three-run shot in the ninth inning where he took like a you know 101 mile an hour fastball at the top of the zone from Chapman or maybe he was on the outside or something like that either way tr- you know triple digit fastball and takes it straight out to right field not even close to Yankee Stadium and those are the kinds of home runs that he is going to hit a lot of uh next year um so yeah I'm not particularly just he's 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 gonna play through it his swing is geared towards high contact he's not going to swing and miss a lot that 15 percent strikeout rates probably even if it's not quite that good over a full season um that's not a fluke that's him adjusting to the big leagues and being the player that he is i think so uh yeah man this is i'm looking at this board right now and that's you're gonna look at that's one where you're gonna look at uh you're gonna look might look at in a few months and be reconsidered uh, unattainable <laughs> yeah yeah for sure. All right. Well, Zach, That's I'm going to come. Same round as Joe Adele, by the way. Just should know. Oh, yeah. Well, good callback, Alexander. Uh, I, I'm going to come back to you, um, Zach, to pick your your last guy here, either Carlos Rodon or Kyle Hendricks. Who do you want to talk about? Oh, man. You know, Rodon, I almost wanted to go with just because I saw how high he went and I was surprised because I think there's a lot of, uh, at least within the spheres that I'm in, I think a lot more uh, people are questioning his health. I'm personally not. I think that's perfectly appropriate spot for him. Is Kyle Hendricks washed? Uh, I don't think so, but he's going a lot lower. Uh, he's going in this draft like people. I think he's kind of he's kind of washed. Mm. Um, let me see if I can I can find him real quick and get some of the names around him. But uh, he had a weird year. See, he's going in the same tier as Aaron Savali and Taiwan Walker. Uh, he's going again after Joe Ryan, Carlos Carrasco, who had almost a lost year. Uh, Hendricks had a very strange year. His his hits went way up, his walks went way up, and very little, very little data to to back this up. There might be if it's there. I haven't looked for it, but he's not a kind of guy who you're worried about him losing his raw stuff. I'm inclined to think that we're coming off a really really weird year. Guys are losing steam. Everyone's a little bit fatigued. I think Kyle Hendricks is going to go back to being like at worst a mid three ZRA guy next year with with a fair amount of innings. Who else is eating innings on that Cubs team? Like, come on, yeah. he's going seven every time. <laughs> Alexander, what are your you thoughts know, there on on Mister Hendricks? Okay, so I want to pull up um, on. So I've been working on getting the era estimator that i made last year to work a little bit better be a little more predictive i I should have i should have stated a little more clearly too the chaotic confusing part of that is with guys like that you never know when they're washed or not you never know when it's just suddenly not there anymore right Uh, it's the margins are so thin the margins are so thin when you throw 87 uh so i can see why at the first sign of trouble he's kind of drops off the table there but as you just heard i'm i'm i think that's a little bit of an overreaction what i'm seeing on this this board in front of me yeah, I should say Kyle Hendricks is a guy that my processes will never allow me to draft, but that I love to watch <laughs> succeed. Um, and the number I watch for a guy like him is like to see if his like model is being successful is, you know, like hard hit per PA. I talked about it for Vaughn as a measure of how often he's producing hard contact. It works just as well for pitchers as a measure of how often they're allowing hard contact. So it's like if you take like strikeouts plus weak hit balls and you just like call those wins and you take hard hit balls plus walks and call those losses like how often is zach hendricks zach hendricks, <laughs> zach, hendricks. Um, <laughs> zach please zach is right below him take kyle hendricks and you're like what are people like him who are succeeding without strikeouts doing in these sorts of things now he's allowing a hard hit ball about 25 percent of the time which is better than average i will say there is still some contact suppression but just enough of those weak hit balls that are, are coming through that it's still kind of a problem so my i rebuilt my estimate to kind of work like pcra does familiar with PCRA, that it's got some like elements of regressing to league average um and he showed up based off of his work in the series of like a four or five guy 
I would bet my money on him beating four five next year, but I would say that that's going to look more like at a four two five. Well, he was range. captain uh, just... captain quality start before, right? So four five sounds just about right. <laughs> there you go. And he's <laughs> and on the other hand, he's also a guy where you have to probably take into account the Cubs defense next year. I don't know what their starting lineup is going to look like, oh, but, for sure, for but sure. they're not going to be an above average defensive team. Maybe they, maybe they'll all hit two hundred and play Google Glove defense. I don't know. Uh, but that's a little more of a precarious situation, and uh, I mean, he's even a guy that might be for an enterprising team a, a trade candidate with the kind of contract he's got. But um, there's again, it's yeah, it's it, it's just hard to say because when someone beats when someone beats the estimates forever, it's hard to say when it's for real when the magic is for real drying up. You know, um, sure. I'm really curious, actually, on that note. I'm like, who are going to be the good and good at defense teams that feel like they could get the most out of him? And I'm really curious to know what he's going to do in a Giants uniform next year, now that you say it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That's, oh, oh, man, oh, man. Oh, man. It's never too early to start coming up with fictional trades that make no sense. And boy, am I right. Just wait wait until until Andrew Friedman hears this podcast and will be on the Dodgers in like two hours later. (laughs) Well, we can only hope that that happens. Hey, uh, unfortunately, that is going to bring us to the end of this episode. So, Zach, I really want to thank you so much for coming on and and talking through all these random things with us and having a good time. Uh, Before we let you go, please plug your stuff. Uh, And we've talked a little bit about what you do at Pitcher List and all that, but just go through it. Uh, Give everybody your Twitter handle, where they can find you, uh, all of that good stuff. Oh, man. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's a lot of fun. I forgot how fun it. I haven't done a, a guest pod in a while. It's a lot of fun. A lot of fun <laughs> yakking. Um, uh, yeah, you can find my stuff mostly in the Going Deep section. I do edit the newsletter and do Batters Box stuff. I'll be roving around uh, Going Deep and Across the Seams on Pitcher List. Uh, check out the Shag and Flies pod if you want. Uh, that's also at Shag and Flies PL on Twitter. I am uh, at Pine Tar Keyboard on Twitter follow me if you want or don't don't get offended um uh you can also find my stuff on the white Sox, specifically at Southside socks um and on this wonderful pod so uh yeah thanks thanks a lot for having me guys absolutely all right well alexander we're at the point where we recognize that now everybody knows where they can find zach but could you let the people know where they could find us well they can find you on twitter at the corked mat I'm on Twitter at Chase underscore rate. And most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at Dugout Study Hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.